here's how I would approach that issue as a, as a statistician or a political scientist. No, as a psychologist, which I'm not, is, is how abstract you handle the race thing. In other words, you start out, and yeah, now y'all aren't quoting me on this. You start out in 1954 by saying nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you can't say nigger, that hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now, you're talking about cutting taxes, and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and the byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, uh, that, that, we're, that we're doing away with the racial problem one way or the other. Uh, you follow me? Because obviously sitting around saying uh, we want to cut taxes, we want to cut this, and we want is much more abstract than, than even the busing thing. Uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than never knew, you know. So I, any way you look at it, race is coming on the back burner. Some of you may be wondering, What's the deal with the GOP freakout over critical race theory? It's everywhere and was even used as a GOP call to arms at a conservative Christian conference last week. The old Marxism used economics to gain control. The new Marxism, the new Marxism uses identity politics. And the result is something that looks nothing like America. There's no reason to believe that this new Marxism will result in anything but what the old Marxism resulted in. Critical race theory is racism, pure and simple. And it should be rejected by every American of every race. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. Okay, but here's the thing. None of this is random. This is the result of a highly manufactured strategy created by seasoned political operatives looking for the perfect wedge issue to take back power. Something to combat the energy of the multiracial coalition that took Georgia and something to replace Blue Lives Matter, since January 6th exposed that slogan as a sham. Conservatives in Congress took note and started chattering, which was then ingested into the feeder system of Fox News. The tagline disseminated and the war against critical race theory took off. No one wants a boogeyman near their kids, and certainly not in their classrooms. The operatives know this. Those fears got played up, and now along with the fear of trans kids taking over junior high handball, parents are fighting with school boards in, in cities and towns across the country over curricula that they believe teaches white kids that they are racist. None of this is actually happening. But who cares about a little old thing like the truth when you have the perfect campaign buzzword for 2022? It even has the magic word in it. Race. The other thing that they raised to me was a seminar that over a hundred cadets attended titled Understanding Whiteness and White Rage, taught by a woman who described the Republican Party platform as a platform of white supremacy. This is going on at West Point as we speak to our future military leaders. And sir, I would encourage you, I would demand that you get to the bottom of what is going on but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand 
Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. Soldiers, you just heard three clips. The first is an excerpt from a classic interview of former Republican campaign strategist Lee Atwater, who is the architect of what has come to be known as the Southern Strategy. This is a campaign strategy deployed in every national political campaign since Ronald Reagan in 1980, over 41 years ago. The second is clips of Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, former Vice President Mike Pence, and Republican Senator Ted Cruz from the Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference held in early June 2021. This clip is included with the introduction of an MSNBC article done by news personality Joy Reid, where she interviewed Professor Kimberly Crenshaw. Kimberly Crenshaw is the Harvard-trained legal scholar who coined the term critical race theory, along with Professor Derek Bell. And the final clip is taken from the testimony of United States Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Here, General Milley testifies before the House Armed Services Committee on why they teach critical race theory at American military academies. We wanted to include these clips to illustrate that the recent local and national groundswell of opposition to critical race theory isn't coming from the ground. It is, in fact, coming from a carefully orchestrated strategy on the part of conservative political leaders to prime the issue of race to stoke white fears and to stoke retribution against equity and inclusion efforts in schools and in public and government organizations. We also wanted to illustrate that this tactic is not new. This has been the open strategy of the Republican Party for the last four decades and a major piece of Republican strategy for the last 53 years ever since the campaign and the ultimate election 
of President Richard Nixon in 1968. So we hope this nuance helps you to develop a broader framework for how, as Americans, we are being divided over an issue that few average Americans truly understand and how that division is being cultivated on purpose by the American political right. Right, because, you know, in our pursuit of black joy, black love, black wholeness and black fulfillment and our desire to just be, life still happens. And part of that life is opposition. And sometimes this opposition is not necessarily directly personal towards us, but it's opposition towards a cause or a belief that we stand for and that we deeply care about. And as Christian soldiers, we feel that CRT has been co-opted to mean something that it does not. And it has been weaponized to erase the history and the reality of race and racism in America. And as Christian soldiers, we have a duty to address this. And while we have a, a topic area that we focus on on this podcast, we are not a current events podcast. However, we do keep an eye on the culture and we want to respond and give our perspective on it. And this is one of those topics, of course. There's so much said and done around this topic nationally, locally, and even within the people that we know that we wanted to provide our listeners with some new ones and some of our own perspectives on it. And maybe... It will help you clarify your own thoughts and beliefs. So having said that, we're going to break away from the typical format of the show. As you already know, with his work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and his work in anti-racism and the construction of race, and having trained over 15,000 people on this subject, it was obvious that our brother Abdullah would guide us in, this, in the conversation for this subject. So like you listeners, we are going to take in what Abdullah has to say, and then we are going to react on the other side. So having said that, Abdullah, take it away. <laughs> um, so listeners, for this episode, we're going to navigate some pretty deep water, but we're going to try to do this in a way that's accessible and not too heady. So, but this will, this will be you know, kind of concepts of a, let's call it a 300 level conversation. And so this is just a small piece of the content that I would normally give in some, some of my workshops. And I wanted you guys to know, wanted you to know that going into the episode. So there are things that I've been learning, researching and training, as Andre said, you know, f for more than two decades at this point. So we say all that to say that, you know, these aren't just random opinions. I'm not new to this. So um, what we're going to do in this episode, again, is very much like, for example, a doctor who holds up an x-ray to the light and describes for you what you're looking at. So that's, that's what we're going to be talking about when, when we look at uh, critical race theory. So first off, let's be clear. Critical race theory isn't a single thing that you can point to. It's a lens or a, or a perspective to describe and explain what we're looking at. So in this case, it is inequitable social outcomes that we can see in pretty much every facet of society. Or as um, one scholar put it, as Kimberly Crenshaw put it, who was one of the folks who coined the term, CRT isn't a thing. It's a way to describe a thing. So think about it like this. I see behavior in the world that I interpret a certain way. I see people behaving badly toward each other. And maybe even that, that behaving badly is 
being badly in a depraved way. I see them being selfish. I see people lying to each other. I see people murdering and so forth. And I don't really understand why. Right. So that's kind of the, the example that, that, that I want to paint. Now, as a Christian, the answer for that behavior is a perspective that we call sin or sin nature. Right. Um, so for Christians, you know, that's the perspective that we are all born with this built in urge to do bad things to each other and to disobey God. And that is the perspective that explains the behavior that we see. So that is the, the way to describe a thing. Does that make sense, guys? Yes. So in the same way, critical race theory is a perspective or, you know, in academic terms, a, a theoretical framework that helps explain how and why racial inequities are created and why they still exist. So it really comes from, it comes from, um, for example, legal, legal scholars in Harvard in the 60s and 70s, people like Kimberly Crenshaw, people like Derek Bell. Um, you know, these legal scholars kind of coined the term. And so Kimberly Crenshaw is the, is the scholar who coined the term intersectionality. So part of her contribution to all of this is also looking at those different intersections as a lawyer and as a critical theorist in the law um, to notice this thing that she and others termed critical race theory. So what they were doing is they were examining the impact of laws and um, whether the laws were constructed in a way that had a disproportionate impact on people of color, specifically on African-Americans. And that approach or that way to describe a thing became known as critical race theory. And so it provides a, again, a framework or an explanation for what race is, how it was created, by whom, and for what purpose. And, you know, legal scientists and social scientists and legal scholars found that what happened was you'd have these political elites and you have wealthy and privileged people who often used methods of oppression or repression through the laws to maintain their place in power. So when you hear things about, well, it's about power and, you know, power plus racial prejudice and all that kind of stuff, all of these things inherent in all of them is a critical examination of the nature of power. Okay. And so that's basically what it is, right? It's a way to describe a thing. Now, if anyone asks for what CRT is, the simple answer is this. The simple answer is that it's a, that it's a way to describe and explain how and why racial inequalities exist, why they still exist, and what power structures are at play. That's a really simple conversational um, description of what critical race theory is, right? Now, like listeners, you know, we are on our podcast, we want to give you nuance. So that's the, that's the simple explanation. Now, here's some of the nuance, all right? So CRT itself comes from, like I said before, the field of critical legal studies, which draws on other disciplines like history, political science, sociology, and the like. Uh, so critical legal studies, or it's also called critical legal theory, basically said that laws are created to maintain existing power structures and maintain the existing status quo. That's the purpose for laws. Hmm. So one of the first things noticed by these critical legal theory scholars is that economic and political and social elites, i.e. those who make the rules for society, 
those folks use their resources, their power, and their influence, not only to maintain their place in the social order, but to create systemic and institutional structures that hold others at bay and hold them down to prevent them from threatening the power of the dominant economic and social groups. So again, people talk about power, right? Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. So critical legal theory scholars weren't saying, for example, because one of the things that they examined in that power relationship was capitalism. Now here, you know, cue the argument that critical race theory is Marxist. Now, like I said, don't hear what I'm not saying because critical race theorists didn't necessarily um, call capitalism bad, although they critiqued, provided a critique of the system of capitalism. They didn't call capitalism bad, but they were examining the results of capitalism vis-a-vis the laws that were created. So for instance, like as any, as any, let's say, mechanic, a technician, a scientist, a scholar, or anybody who wants to know how things work would do, what these legal scholars started, started applying this rubric to other places in society, and they wanted to see what they could learn and what other patterns existed. So they applied it from the law to looking at race, to looking at gender, to looking at a bunch of other different things. And then here's this thing called critical race theory, right? So once again, it's a way to describe a thing. Um, now here's now what these scholars learned in the 60s and 70s was three, kind of three main things. The first thing is that our nation's laws disproportionately advantage the wealthy and the powerful and disadvantage the poor and to some extent, the middle and working class. The second thing they found is that the laws not only disadvantage the poor, they also have the net effect, and in some cases, they have the intention of oppressing the poor and the marginalized. And the third thing they found in this critical analysis was that the disadvantage that was codified was not just about rich or poor, so it wasn't just about economics. It was codified disadvantage and had a disproportionate effect on black people on immigrants, on Native Americans, on Latinos, and to some extent, those smaller, on women. So those are the three, the three things they found out in that critical analysis. That, well, wait a minute. This isn't just about economic disadvantage. It's economic disadvantage specifically to certain groups. So looking at things contextually, really, critical race theory or critical legal theory comes from uh, that tradition, and then begins to examine more deeply the impact on people who have been socialized to be called black people. Now, check this out, though. Like we just said, CRT is a way to describe a thing. So let me just cite two other critical theories. So Andres and Justine, have y'all ever heard of uh, this obscure um, Jewish guy named Albert Einstein? Yes. Uh, name sounds familiar. Rings a bell <laughs> vaguely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So Albert Einstein witnessed and studied something interesting about the relationship between space and time. Mm-hmm. And as a way to describe a thing, right? Again, critical race theory is a way to describe a thing. So as a way to describe a thing he was observing, he formalized this 
thought process he had, and it became known as the special theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. It's a theory as a way to describe the phenomenon he was observing. But this theory so far has been so cogent and so accurate that it hasn't been disproven since 1905 when he came up with the concept. So I wonder what kind of flack he got for his theory that went away from popular discourse and for him saying that he noticed something that Isaac Newton and Aristotle missed. Does that make sense? Yes. So here's one more example of a theory for you legal and scholarly types. So again, as a way to describe a thing and have some kind of common sense way to understand the intentions of people who constructed laws or wrote literature and to understand the Bible, scholars developed a critical theory called hermeneutics. (laughs) Hermeneutics is a theoretical approach. Okay. It's a way to understand something. Now, according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, it's a way to understand, quote, human intentions, beliefs, and actions, or the meaning of human experience as it is preserved in the arts and literature, historical testimony, and other artifacts, end quote. Mm. Hermeneutics is a theory of a way to describe a thing. It is no different than critical race theory. It is no different than the theory of special relativity, right? So if you are, I would tell people, listen, if if you're going to blast critical race theory because of something that people are making up, well, apply your rule consistently and let's let's stamp out critical theory and critical discourse in all their forms. Let's stamp out hermeneutics. The theory of relativity goes out the window. Um, the theory of why it's safe or important to stop at a red light goes out the window, <laughs> right? These are all ways to describe a thing. So, so far, Andres and Justine, how do you guys interact with this so far? Um, actually, um, pretty good. I mean, I, I like the, when you talk about lumping See, because the strategy is just to separate CRT into some other beast. Right. And then attack it. Right. Right. But I, lo- I like that you mentioned that it comes from this legal tradition, this critical legal, uh, what you call it? Uh, critical legal theory. Is st- theory. theory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and just because it's just CRT is just the extension that. Laws are used to maintain the status quo of society's mm-hmm. power structure. Mm-hmm. And that's the study of it. Right. And CRT is no different in it, in which it's just, we have the civil rights, and then we have this thing that happened post-civil rights, and that civil rights was supposed to take care of, and it didn't. Why didn't it take care of it? Right. Right. So, anyway, and yes. so, so even like I said, cue the Marxist rhetoric, right? So um, I would wager that the average person on the street or the average person levying the claim that CRT is Marxist can't even explain what Marxism is. And, and, I, and I'm not going to get into a deep, deep dive on what Marxism is, but let's just say it's also like CRT because CRT comes from this critical theory. And critical theory is a theoretical approach that came from people 
um, who were influenced like by, by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Okay. So that's the tie to Marxism. Now, one of the things that Marx and Engels did was that they were also looking at societal outcomes and wondering what is causing this. Right. And they postulated two different things. Basically, this is a massive short, short summary. They postulated that the inequities in our society are caused by the fact that our society is capitalist. So to equalize things in society, maybe they should be socialist, meaning more communal, more flat, less hierarchical, right? Now, what Marx and Engels didn't factor in is they were looking at capitalism in the midst of a monarchy because they also had a czar. Now, now, was the czar the cause of the issues or was the capitalism the cause of the, cause of the issues? Now, what Marx and, Marx and Engels also did was they also critiqued the idea of socialism because they could see capitalism ends up having power and, and having power enjoyed disproportionately at the hands of the few against the hands of the many. But they actually thought, you know what? Taken to its logical extreme, socialism can still do the same thing. So they critiqued both systems. A lot of folks don't talk about that because a lot of folks don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. That was a very good breakdown, Abdul. And I like how you you quoted Kimberly Crenshaw that CRT is not a thing. It's a way to look at a thing. And I think a lot of people who are bashing CRT are are claiming that CRT constantly paints white people as evil and racist and America is this bad country. I mean, I would argue, but that, that a lot of those things are true, but CRT is just a way it's kind of like a microscope, right? So if you took a biology lab, um, think of a microscope that allows you to look at the details of a cell you know, like you're looking at the cell of a plant or a human being or something, and it's allowing you to see the different details and how those details work together to create the society that we have today. Right. Right. And so I just, I really, really like that breakdown. Yeah. Right. So let me give you a couple of more dots to connect for our listeners. Okay. So, um, soldiers, I want you to think about the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka in 1954. So. I would imagine that none of the three of us or that no, no one listening to my voice or most people, in fact, I would imagine that, that, that most people would say that declaring separate but equal unconstitutional was a, was a bad idea. I would imagine that most people would not say that, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think that most, most reasonable people would agree that school integration was not only a good thing but a moral thing. And the dot I want to connect here is that the argument used by the then lawyer for the plaintiff and later Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall was one that examined the laws of society on their impact and their impact on the very psyche of children. So the argument that was presented was based on this now famous doll study first done by doctors Kenneth and Amy Clark that demonstrated the feeling 
and the belief in the psychological and moral inferiority that black elementary school kids felt as a result of being in a segregated society and a segregated school system. And these kids felt that basically the system, you know, was, was white as normal and white as superior and all that. And that was felt by both black students and white students when they took this test. Right now, these black babies believed that they weren't as good as pure or as honest or as beautiful or as intelligent as white people. That's what the study showed. Now, the research used by Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP legal defense team was based on an argument that today could be considered critical race theory. Mm. You catch that? Yeah. So then in the opinion written by Supreme Court uh, Justice Earl Warren, he later said that separate but equal, separate is inherently unequal and that separate but equal has no place. That essentially was a CRT argument too even though it wasn't called that at the time. The prosecution of the case and the writing of the opinion was based on an argument that people would rail against today as critical race theory, even though they would say the result was a good, good and moral idea. You can't have it both ways, folks. Right? Here's, here's, here's another one. You, ha- you have to use CRT, quote-unquote, to get to that. You, you do. The the only way to get to. there, yes, is to critically examine the laws and the result right. of the laws. That's the only way you get there. And oh, by the way, Earl Warren was a Republican and an appointee of general turned president Dwight Eisenhower, also a Republican. So as a critical legal analysis, aka a way to describe a thing, you can't arrive at calling separate but equal unconstitutional in Marshall's prosecution, in Chief Justice Warren's opinion, or in the Supreme Court's unanimous ruling without critical race theory. Um, Einstein uh, discovered relativity. Relativity always existed. He just paid attention to it. Right. It's the same thing with CRT. CRT has what CRT is noticing was always there. It was there with the MLK. It was there with the Supreme Court decision. It was always there. It just wouldn't call it CRT in the 50s because we just didn't call it CRT. Right, right. Now, think about this one. Think about the MLK I Have a Dream speech, right? Where what we all remember is the piece, like we said before, is the dream is, is the MLK having the dream of being judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character, right? And so that speech is cut from the same cloth, right? So it's not this utopian vision of something. It was a critical examination of the culture and the society and the social customs and the laws, which led him to the result that things aren't the way they the way they need to be. And other than dream, other than having this beautiful dream, I don't see them. I don't see them changing. But I do have this dream now. Mm-hmm. Let me just read an excerpt of, of this speech, just j- j- just to give you the math, <laughs> right? So he says, in a sense, 
we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today, he says, that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we have come to cash this check, a check that will give us, upon demand, the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make the real promise of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation into the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to uplift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. So the dot I want to connect is this. If you are listening to this podcast and you're opposed to CRT or know someone who is opposed to it, understand two things. One, that the whole critique of CRT and this whole frenzy is used to distract conservatives. It's a whole mm. distraction. And number two, that your children have effectively been learning part of accurate history that you would now call CRT for the last 50 years. This is not a new thing. And all critical race theory is, is a way to describe a thing and to, and to look at history accurately and to not give it this rose-colored glasses, rear-view mirror thing. It's not America bashing to treat something as honest. So I would say these folks, you can't have it both ways. You can't, you can't say you don't want to teach an accurate understanding of history. That talks about power and segregation and white supremacy, but then cherry pick some of the CRT things like the I have a dream speech to justify that you don't like CRT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, you can, but you look foolish because you have no clue what you're talking about. So once again, as a critical analysis, see my air quotes, aka a way to describe a thing. So it's a critical analysis of this beautiful but flawed experiment in democracy called the United States of America. You can't arrive at the need for Dr. King's dream or his vision of a beloved community without critical race theory, even though it wasn't called that at the time, the principle still exists. So you can't arrive at those conclusions without what you would call today critical race theory. Now, if you want to call CRT racist and Marxist, I would say to anybody, first, please tell me what race is, then tell me what racism is, and then tell me what Marxism is. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> right? So one more and then I'm done. Until 
just a few years before I was born, my parents, my grandparents, and great-grandparents, who were still alive at the time, had a, I'm going to call it a trifecta of horrible and demeaning social conditions. One, they didn't have equal employment opportunity. Two, they didn't have equal public accommodations and other equal protection under the law. And three, they couldn't vote. Why? Because they lived in rural Arkansas, in South Carolina, and Louisiana, aka the Jim Crow South, where stuff like whites only and separate but equal were the norm. So, as just an example, if you were a pregnant black woman and had to go to the bathroom while shopping downtown in one of those places, she couldn't use the public facilities because many of them didn't have restrooms for black folks. So, she would have to go behind the establishment and literally squat in a box like an animal if she couldn't wait until she got home or got to a friendly establishment that would let her go to the bathroom. And at the time, it was perfectly legal because Jim Crow laws reigned in the South. And really, it's only a miracle that it wasn't enforced in in the North, but separate but equal in public accommodations could have been enforced if they wanted to because it was still the law of the land and it was perfectly legal. Now, before, before you go thinking that this is, for example, hyperbole, these are actual stories, like that bathroom incident, those are actual stories of people that have described that actually happened. Uh, there's research about it. There's stuff in public record and in books. These things actually happened. So when it came to for example, exercising their, quote, full citizenship rights, even after both my grandfathers, two great uncles, a great grandfather, and others in my family who served in the United States military in World War I, World War II, and Korea, even after they returned home to the South from fighting a war, they couldn't vote. So then my grandmother and those folks and her mother and people like them at that time were still subject, subject to things like poll taxes, literacy tests, grandfather clauses, and just outright terrorism for even trying to register to vote. So the basis for the court cases and the political pressure that resulted in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were based on arguments that today, right now, in 2021, would be described as CRT. So once again, listeners, as a quote, critical analysis or a way to describe a thing of how the laws and the social institutions of our nations, of our nation reinforced the disadvantage to African-Americans and other black and brown folks, you can't arrive at the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Voting Rights Act of 1965 without critical race theory. So, like I said at the top of the episode, this the idea of critical race theory isn't new. We've been using the idea for the last several decades to forward the country, to move to, to, to move us to progress, to move us to equality. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, a lot of you would say if you didn't have the boogeyman of CRT attached to it, that these things were good and moral and right and even biblical things. So, and like I keep saying, y'all can't have it both ways. 
All right. So that's that that's the piece that I wanted to kind of get off my chest a little bit that that we I want our listeners to understand. So um yeah, what do you guys think? Well, there's a there's a tweet that I stumbled upon as I was researching a little bit about the episode from uh one of your representatives, Justine in Minnesota. Oh Lord. <laughs> is, is this Amy? <laughs> no, uh, um Pete Stober, S T A U B Oh Stauber, yeah. Stauber. Yeah. Okay. Um, he uh, tweeted, make no mistake, critical race theory has no place in our education system. We all have been created equally in the eyes of God and teaching our children. There's a racial hierarchy is despicable. This will not solve our division. It will further it. And I find that interesting because like you're, you're talking about, there's, there's, there's so much U.S. history that people don't know about that allows people to say statements like this, mm-hmm. you know, because if you were to go to a dictionary or do a little bit of research, you would find that the first mention of the word white came somewhere in the 1600s, late 1600s, right? Now, why was it mentioned? Now, so... Further research <laughs> comes to show that this is actually this part I didn't know. So the 17th century slave-owning planters, slave-owning planters, refer themselves as white, right? Uh, I'm sorry, they did, not, they did not refer themselves as white, white or slave owners, but Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah because being a christian was a privilege it was a sign of freedom and superiority mm-hmm. right if slavery was justifiable only for the heathens quote unquote then conversion to christianity would threaten their legal claim to the labor of the enslaved african right right but but god the enslaved African did convert. That oh. creates a problem to the slave-owning uh, person, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the ways that you got land and, and you have access to power was if you were a Christian. <laughs> so now we have these enslaved Africans who were Christian we're male and we're free. So what happens? You change the law. It's the law. You change the law. Yep. <laughs> so to maintain black, your power. Yeah. So as black men grew closer to political authority, the English colonists changed the rules. When enslaved peoples were non-Christian, the colonists used religion to justify oppression. As enslaved and formerly enslaved people converted, the colonies changed the language in their law books to replace the word Christian with white. the word white. Come on now. Come on now, Doc. Get him. <laughs> All right. Uh, this uh, is in the 1600s. So, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> listen, 1697, around 1697 was the first time that the word white was used instead of the word Christian. It was mm-hmm. the first time that whiteness was used to determine voting eligibility. Eligibility. 
right? Mm. So representative. So to say that we have, so we are all created equally in the eyes of God and teaching our children that there's a racial hierarchy is despicable. Wouldn't creating the law that actually creates the hierarchy be what's despicable? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't censoring that fact be despicable? Right. Erasing history. Yeah. Right. Here's what's despicable. This whole thing is just, it's an attack by whiteness. And, okay, so what they really want is they really want no competition in the brainwashing department. That's what they want. Right. So like they want this, this psychosocial hegemony. That's what they want. So they're complaining about all this critical race theory and so-called wokeness. But what they really want is for folks to go back to sleep. What they really, so what they're really saying is, listen, we control the brainwashing up in here. (laughs) So y'all need to sit down and be quiet and let us brainwash you. That's what they're saying. Now I got to say that also what's being said is. This is the polite way attacking CRT. This is the polite way of saying, hey, they're coming after us. Mm-hmm. White people, yep. they're coming after you. Yes. So yes. rather than say that, they'll say CRT. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. But they, can't, you know, but they can't really say that because white people are saying that they're being persecuted in the USA. Right. It's pretty laughable at least at some levels you know of our power structure right and yes and let's not ignore the fact that this is a really this is a way to sneak diss the lgbtq community like this is a really sneaky way to attack those folks too because they're rolling in all this anti-lgbtq sentiment Within this, within the critical race theory, and in mm-hmm. our own local context, the like there's all this, you know, they're 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 conjoining the idea of critical race theory to the Black Lives Matter School Week of Action that we had a few a uh, few months ago, and and they're putting all that in there, and it's just this really really nice xenophobic racist anti LGBTQ sandwich mm-hmm. <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> Now, <laughs> you were mentioning 1697 and whatnot, right? L- let me ask y'all this. Do y'all know the story of Pocahontas? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so this is going to be my last rant, and, th- and then we'll do the, l- the liner notes. But listen to this, because I really want our listeners to think about how sinister opposing the true telling of history can be, Right? There were some societies where they banned, I'm not, I'm not going to say who, because we should know them at this point, where they banned the true telling of history by burning books. So not being honest about history can have sinister consequences. Now listen to this. So if, if, if you are, again, if you are a Christian and you're listening to this episode, I want you to keep in mind the idea of exegesis and hermeneutics, right? Because for those of you who aren't, so for those of you who aren't Christian, exegesis basically is the, the critical, there's a word again, the critical examination, <laughs> right? So the critical examination and interpretation of a text based on its context, right? So again, a critical examination. So file that away in your brain. Now, hermeneutics is the interpretation and the application of the meaning of what something means. So 
a cardinal sin, for example, in reading the Bible is to read a passage and immediately jump to what it means to me, mm-hmm. right? Without any examination of the context to understand what it meant to the original hearers of a given text. So we know from Disney or from the really inept books in our history classes growing up that Pocahontas was this, was this Indian at the term of the time was this Indian princess who married this guy, um, uh, John Smith, and they lived happily ever after. Right. So here's the real story. The real story is this princess Makawata, who we know as Pocahontas was one of the daughters of Chief Powhatan of the, uh, of the Algonquin nation in, in Virginia. Okay. And so she married, she married this tobacco farmer, not named John Smith, but John Rolfe. John Smith is a different guy. Now this has been reinterpreted and re and revised as this grand romance because the marriage really signaled um, an alliance between Virginia colonists and the Powhatan nation because, because they wanted, it was a land grab. Right. And the land grab was to do what? It was to get more land for tobacco farming and other stuff. So, the story goes like this Pocahontas was actually kidnapped at age 15 and held for ransom by Virginia colonial officials when she's 15 or 16 years old. Now, again, why would they do that? Because Chief Powhatan had something that, that, that the colonists wanted. So they kidnapped his daughter. So the colonists and the Virginia House of Burgesses and the wealthy planters were all in on the heist so that they could get land. And the land was, again, for more tobacco, more crops and all that. And the chief wasn't giving it up. So, again, they kidnapped his daughter and did God knows what to her. And so the story goes, she confided, she confided in people that she was, she was raped repeatedly in that time. Now, they held her for two years, and they held her long enough for her to learn English, to convert to Christianity, and was baptized under the name of Rebecca. Had y'all heard that? No. Now, can anyone say trauma? Right? How about sexual violence and power and control? And here's the kicker. At the time Pocahontas was kidnapped, she was already married and was a mother. Mm. Yes. In her culture, she was considered, you know, an adult and was at the age to marry. And so she was already, you know, at the time again, but they kidnapped her and again, held her long enough to all that. Now, even though I've studied a pretty good bit of history, I didn't know that detail. I'd never heard that until about a year and a half ago. I have never heard anything about her first husband or her, her other children. So we can assume that the Virginia House of Burgesses and, and, the, and, and, the, and the colonial folks completely did not respect her marriage at all, right? Now, again, Pocahontas marries John Rolfe. She marries him in 1614 as, as, a, as a plan, a part of the plan to keep the peace between the colonists and the indigenous folks. So at the time she got married, she's about 17 or 18 years old. And they completely exploited her for two years as she toured Europe for the, for the Virginia company, because again, the, the colonies were colonial business interests. So she's touring 
for the Virginia company in England, basically giving a sales pitch for the new world so they can get investment and capital and people to come over um, to, to experience all this new, this new life and this whole little thing, right? And so, um, and it was, they, they were trotting her out as the shining example of how to Christianize and civilize the heathen savages, quote, unquote. Okay, now let's keep it real because these colonial folks couldn't keep it in their pants, right? Now, she was an uncivilized savage heathen, but they did sexual violence to her. So she was, she was at least human enough to do that stuff too. Now, some historians even go so far as to say that when, that when this group of a dozen or so enslaved Africans arrived in Jamestown in 1619, they landed on a port in Virginia that was owned by, that was given to John Rolfe by Chief Powhatan. But Pocahontas and John Rolfe had a child. So now we have, now we have um, an inheritance problem. So these folks weren't technically white. This child, Thomas, wasn't technically white. So they changed the law, like I just said earlier. And the Virginia law basically identified a white man as someone who has, quote, no Indian or Negro blood whatsoever. So they therefore had no legal citizenship rights to own, to own land. So they did a thing that was called the Pocahontas exception. <laughs> right? Now, this is critical examination in context. This is why I said hermeneutics matter, right? This is critical and a critical examination of the story of Pocahontas. So we see here a glimpse of the arbitrary construction of what it means to be white because this power afforded to the progeny of John Rolfe and Pocahontas, they had this thing where it said that, you know, um, everyone who is, has one drop of Negro or Indian blood is Indian or Negro except for the descendants of John Rolfe and Pocahontas. That was written into the law, that quote, except for the descendants of John Rolfe and Pocahontas. So then they did this thing where you could be one sixteenth Indian, the term of the time. You could be one sixteenth Indian and be descendants of John Rolfe and Pocahontas to be considered white in the state of Virginia. Mm. Yeah, you can be one sixteenth Native American ancestry. Yes, and still be white. Yes, and that's how you keep John Rawls and Pocahontas descendants. Yes, white. as white. Yes. So, again, just an example: A for context, B for hermeneutics, and C to prove that this whole arbitrary construction of this thing that we call race as a way to describe a thing that happened. Okay, everyone. That was a very loaded conversation. You're probably going to need to go back and listen and re-listen. Just lots of good nuggets there. Thanks, Abdul. Well, it's now time for our liner notes segment. And this is where each of us shares a song, an artist, a book, a movie, a conversation, a piece of culture, just anything that is given as life in this moment. And we, are ho and we hope that you're blessed by it. So, Andres, you want to kick us off for this section? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, my liner note is a guilty pleasure uh oh yeah. <laughs> i'm 49 years old <laughs> we say, i'm a grown man dog 
Um, and and um, yeah, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I like the song. I can tell oh. you're stalling. <laughs> I am stalling. <laughs> <laughs> I am stalling. Because I'm like, oh man, you could have Do I share it? Do I share it? <laughs> no, I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it. Um, have you guys heard of the Korean boy band BTS? My sister is obsessed with them. Oh my gosh. Well, it's their song, Butter. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sing a little portion of the chorus? I'm not going to oh, sing God, anything. Please do. Please do. I'm not going to sing anything. <laughs> Not another portion or anything. So, yeah, this song came up. I don't know how this song came up. I don't know how it appeared in my life. But I'm listening to it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I like the song. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's like one of those perfect pop songs, like teen, mm-hmm. you know, NSYNC, Bastard Boys, you know, yeah. Britney Spears, all that. You know, it's like, it, it's like the new I Want It That Way. Ah. You know? Nice. So. Okay, I'll I'll put it I'll put it in the show notes and I'll have to check it out. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna be quiet right now since I don't want to <laughs> keep furthering embarrassing myself. So I'm gonna let you off the hook. Bye 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 was the jam. Yeah, I used to like like I said, I wanted that way. I used to like Toxic by Britney Spears. Britney? Yep. Yeah. No? Okay, uh, fair yeah. enough. Those are perfectly produced, just pop earworms that just like, they really are. I so, hate you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give you too much grief because you're, you're not wrong. Oh, all yeah. right. Who's next? Duel. Um, okay. So uh, I have the perfect liner note for this episode. It's 100% pure, unadulterated black joy. Mm. And it is the, Quest Love documentary Summer of Soul that's out on Netflix just came out a couple days ago. Okay. So it's about it's about so in 1969 so it, it's a documentary about the Harlem um music festival or the Harlem Soul Festival that was basically billed as the Black Woodstock. And it happened again 1969 so 52 53 years ago. Right? And Nobody heard about it for 50 years. They recorded the whole thing. It sat in a vault, <laughs> never saw the light of day, and is now, is now, a, is now a documentary out about it on Netflix. So the, thing, the reason why it gave me, gave me so much life is, you know, again, I'd never heard about it until I saw the documentary, but it has interviews by people who were at the event, get, you know, um, activists and, you know, celebrities like Andrew Young and Reverend Al Sharpton and Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda a whole bunch of folks, but the documentary opened up with Stevie Wonder. So, you know, it got me off the rip. (laughs) It got me off the rip, but basically it's just about like, it's just, you know, imagine in the middle of Harlem in this big park in Harlem, you know, each, and there were several Sundays, like 50,000 people per Sunday that they had this thing for several weeks. Right. And there was no, there was no violence, no issues, no craziness. You know, it was just beautiful. It was our beautiful black diverse selves. Like people were wearing like rocking afros and bell bottoms, wearing dashikis, wearing suits. There was Afro Latin flavor. There was like, yo, so one of the spectators that, that they interviewed for the documentary said that it was like the ultimate cookout, he called it. <laughs> he called it. And so he's like, dude, he's like, they were talking, he was talking about like the air, smelling like Afro sheen and fried chicken. 
because of all of because <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the all the vendors and the culture and the life that was around the festival and everything. And like it made Harlem just much more lit as usual. And dude was even like, listen, people even brought their Vaseline for ashy knees and everything. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I mean, so it was, it was, but it was a celebration of all different musical styles across the diaspora. Soul, funk, jazz, blues, Afro-Latin, Afro-Cuban, um, everything. So you have to watch this documentary. It's called Summer of Soul. Very good. And that's going to be the show notes. Yes. Yes. Ooh, I think for me, what's giving me life right now, you guys, is all the Black women that are going to be competing for Team USA at the Olympics this Let's year. Let's go. Yes. Like, yes. so many, so many awesome people. Simone Biles is going to be there. Vashti Cunningham, I, ho- I hope I'm saying her name right. She's going to be uh, competing for the high jump, the women's high jump. We have Crystal Dunn. We have uh, a WNBA player. I'm forgetting her name. We have Shakari Richardson, which her story has become a little nuanced. Uh-huh. It seems like she might be running the relays uh, for Team USA in Tokyo. We have Naomi Osaka, Alison Felix. We have this one swimmer, Simone Manuel, is going to be there as well. And I am just, I am excited. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to be watching the Olympics this year, just for the black girl magic. That's just for the black girl magic. That's right. Bro. Right. Hey. Yeah. Let's go. Well, it's just that one more example of how we keep saying the math is changing. Yep. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. these people fighting, you're fighting a wave, a tidal wave that's coming. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> just, we're here right. and we're here to stay. <laughs> now, but real like, talk, that's why they're fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, understood. Because the math understood. is you're losing everything. Yeah. You're going to, the math is against you. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And y'all, do you know just what's so crazy? Watching Simone Biles, watching Allison Felix and Shakari Richardson, it's like they they are so good at what they do. It's kind of like supernatural. Like, how do you do this? I mean, right. like, it's just it's fantastic. Right. Like everybody else is like, wait, my body how? don't move that way. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, and the thing is gonna be great. When breakdancing comes to the Olympics. No. 20, yes. 24. <laughs> it's over. If, if I saw that people Y'all doing know. it on cardboards in the Bronx. Come on now. You 83, were there. That 84. Would be that was, I mean, I saw the boom box. I saw it. For it I, I don't listen, know how I'm going to react. Listen, if I they don't the, have, if the they don't Olympics? have B-boys dancing, I ain't watching it. I'm boycotting yeah. it. You you no, better you have should watch people's. a lot of the videos from from Europe and Asia. Uh-huh. I know it's gonna oh. say Asia. Oh my gosh, they yeah. can no, they mm-hmm. no, it's gonna be good. No, this yeah. is not gonna be. Nah, this is not gonna be watered down. Okay, that's this good. is that's gonna good. be crazy. That's good. That's good. All right. Yeah. Okay, so just back to our conversation on CRT. Um, we wanted to have you know the first part of the show. Wanted to just give an explanation of what CRT actually is and not, not what it is based on, you know, a, a partisan talking point kind of thing. But what we also want to do is have an intellectually honest and balanced discussion of CRT um, and something that, you know, people on the left or right don't seem to want to do a whole lot of. So Andres and Justine, um, 
I guess I, I would ask you guys what. So in addition to if, if there's anything you wanted to comment on from the, you know, from the first part of the show or uh, what problems or challenges do you see with CRT? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, so first of all, I'm going to share something that a friend of mine uh, posted on Facebook. And this friend is a believer. And she also happens to be married to a person of color. I'm sharing all those things because I think it gives us some context as to how I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding CRT, mm-hmm. which makes it that much easier to bash. Yeah. Here's what she shared. Um, CRT, according to the Bible, Galatians 3, verse 28 through 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the first verse she shared. Mm -hmm. The second one, Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, not just one race, and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, Then she shared Romans 16, verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division, keep away from them. And so I know, I mean, it's just, it's just sad. <laughs> My God. It's sad. It's sad. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> you guys, I was like, what in the world? And here's the thing. There's a lot of believers that are saying this in our own community. A lot of believers yes. are saying this. And so the one thing that I would say about CRT, I just think there's a lot of ignorance surrounding it. Then I also think how it's been how it's been shared and talked about does not give enough context. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and to, okay. So she, she quoted, there's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free. Right. Okay. So if that's the case, then you throw the book of Philemon out of the Bible because mm-hmm. even though, even though Onesimus, the slave was a believer, he was still enslaved. Right. His right. earthly and condition did not change. Right. Exactly. And you throw out Revelation 7, which says, I looked around me and I saw people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. Right. Right. Which essentially says that even in heaven, our differences will matter and they will be there. You know? And so I'm just right. like, yeah. So I would right. say like, that is, that is the biggest issue. I just think there needs to be more education surrounding CRT. and. And I wonder what our religious leaders are saying about CRT that is allowing people to be so against it. I think it depends no. on which leaders you're talking about. Like if, yeah. if those people, if, if Robert Jones, who wrote the book White Too Long, is to be believed, if those people are evangelical or Catholic, what they're mm-hmm. saying is somewhere along the lines of the same thing, which is that it's bad and that it's, you know, um, it's, it's whatever. But the other, some of the other, some of the other faith communities that are more progressive aren't saying that mm-hmm. the, the critique, the critique is coming from evangelical Christian nationalists. That's where the exactly. critique is coming from. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. Exactly. It's coming from the people who, who have, who have put, who've put their, their politics over their Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they so, put the American before Christian. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and the irony, the irony, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. So, so these, so, so anyway, these are the same folks. Like you see a bumper sticker that, uh, the, there's one that says, uh, I stand for the flag. I kneel at the cross. It's the perfect illustration of idolatry. Why did you put the flag, the flag first? Exactly. And why are you standing? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I get that it's just, it's just a bumper sticker, but it's an illustration of the idolatry. Right. It is. Mm-hmm. 
it is you're 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 American before you're Christian, and you never see yourself as the Romans. You see yourself as the persecuted, whatever. Meanwhile, you're the Romans right now. You are the Romans, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know the the irony of uh, Galatians three twenty eight is that it was one of the passages that was taken out of the slave Bible. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they uh, they only included ten percent of the Old Testament and half right. of the New Testament. Right. And why why would they do that? Right. It's such a beautiful passage. You just read it. You just read it, yeah. right? And these folks want to have it both ways. Some can say, but wait a minute. Some can say that the reason you take that stuff out, which is the same reason for the critic criticism of crt and why we don't want to hear history mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same reason you want to avoid a rebellion and also you don't want to face yourself and you and don't you want don't. to face the reality of what your country has done of what this country has done to people of color specifically black people and native americans you don't want to face that right right and now now let's let's say this so Listeners, please don't hear what we're not saying. You know, make it that into a shirt. I know, right? So because, because what we are not saying. So if you are somebody, you know, I doubt there's a hardcore person who's completely anti-CRT listening to the podcast. But if you are, you know, or, or if you're sympathetic to that perspective, what we're not saying is that CRT teaches and we believe that white people are bad and evil no what we're not saying is that what we are saying is that it is not bad or wrong or evil to look at history accurately right you know it's 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 not bad or evil or anti-american to point out the fact that people did despicable things to other people in the name of the country that's not you know and and if you if you think that's bad or wrong, and if you think doing that is inherently un-American, then you should not call yourself an American because mm-hmm. you called yourself an American because of, I'm going to call it critical political theory, CPT. You are an American because the, co- the, 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 the colonists critiqued the ideas of the British government and formed an entirely new nation. Mm-hmm. You exist because people were critical of something. So I would say this, because people are thinking I'm, I'm, I'm an angry black man anyway. Sit down, shut up, <laughs> and understand history and understand context. Don't practice hermeneutics in one area of your life and completely ignore it in the other. Right. Be consistent. Get on the bus or get off the bus either way, but pick a side. Right. So we live in the cornfield, right? We say that in the introduction, right? So the governor just signed a law uh, targeting uh, critical race theory. And one of the things that she said is like, it's because she's against, quote, discriminatory indoctrination. And I found those two words very interesting. Right. First of all, indoctrination is the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. There's that word. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Dear God. So if you went to a website called criticalthinking.org, <laughs> you're going to read this. You're going to read critical thinking is the mode of thinking about any subject, contact, or problem 
in which the thinker improves the quality of his or her thinking by skillfully analyzing, assessing, or reconstructing it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what people call education. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> right. All right. So what is discrimin- discriminatory? It's the, uh, it's the making or showing an unfair or prejudicial distinction between different categories of people or things, especially on the grounds of race, age, or sex. If you don't know anything about the slave codes, if you don't know anything about Jim Crow laws, if you don't know anything about the Tulsa race massacre, etc., you already have been discriminatory, indoctrinated in U.S. history. Right. Exactly. Right. All people are saying is there's more to the story. Right. Know it. Yeah. Right. Just know it. Just know it. Yes. And here's Absolutely. the here's the here's the damning thing from the from the Des Moines Register. The Iowa Department of Education, Civics, and U.S. History standards are already inadequate, mm-hmm. according to a new study. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're already bad. We already. I mean, yeah. we knew this, but when it comes to it, American history. And civics, yeah, it's already yeah. proven. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, Absolutely. you know, like bring back logic to schools, bring back proper U.S. history, yes. bring back debate, even teach computer programming. Not even, not if you're going to be a, 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 a programmer, but just to think, just to teach critical thinking mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and watch what happens. Right. Watch what happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to share something that Abdul's wife, Jean, shared on Facebook. And this is a quote by James Baldwin. It says, I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And so when you love your country, if you consider yourself to be a true American, you are obligated to criticize your country Mm -hmm. and to point out, to put the microscope, as Abdul said, to to do an x-ray on the history and the current reality of the country that you claim to love so much and to ask yourself why are things the way they are that doesn't make you anti-american it doesn't make you anti-white you know right it just means that you are willing to critically look at your country and and put the dots together why are we where we are and how can we make this better yeah you don't want to be indoctrinated Right. And the framers, the framers built in that critique. It's called an election. Boom. An election is a referendum on on how we're doing as a nation. And we all get to critically think. And as political theorist Hannah Arendt put it way back in the day, we get to overthrow the country every two years. Oh, that's. As a lover of words, I love that. Yes, like like that's that's what an election is a legal chance to overthrow the government, the government. every two I years. Love that. I love that. So Abdul, you, yeah, you talked about Abdul. You talked about um, um, if we see any problems or challenges, like pros and cons, and yeah. CRT, and I thought we might want to get into that. that yes. dis- discussion. Yes, I've got a couple. But you want to go? Well, I was going to say if Justine would wanted to go. Yo, did you, oh, yeah. Oh, no. I, I already shared my, my okay. con. So here, here's my thing. And then and, uh, you can wrap up, Abdul. Mm-hmm. All right. So obviously, you are uh, the subject matter expert here on this, on, on this. So 
I'm looking at it from a 30,000 foot view mm-hmm. of it. And, and the pros and cons, if anything, is just my cons are probably more on the advocates, some of the advocates for CRT. Um, so in episode 19, we had Dr. Anthony Jones to discuss the, the Black Lives Matter and school uh, matter at school week of, of action, right? And like Baldwin said, I may not know you personally, but I know you historically. Oh, yeah. There was the predictable response to that, which came very quickly. I was doing the math on that, and this is shocking. So, well, let me say this. The consequence of that, well, one of the consequences, or this is a long story, but that was like, quote, unquote, the straw that broke people's backs. Yeah. Was that the superintendent resigned. Uh, or I would put it my way, had to resign. There was no way to continue that work and live in peace. Right. 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 So from the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action to the resignation, it was 117 days. Mm. Three months, 28 days. Mm. I thought it was way longer than that. Yeah. Three months from that. So and here's how my, long has she been the superintendent? It was year one of her contract. What? Year one of a three-year contract. Resigned. To yeah. pursue other professional endeavors. Yes. Because she was doing what they hired her to do. Exactly. Until they realized, the oh, crap, she's actually going to do it. Right. Not just say she's going right. to do it. <laughs> right. So my thing is, and this is a, this is a topic for another podcast, but I'm a little surprised that the response wasn't anticipated. And I'm assuming that the response wasn't anticipated. Um, and if it wasn't anticipated, um, it was underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the power of the opposing argument. They've been at this for decades. They don't have to respond specifically to CRT and BLM. No, it's just, it's a frame that framework for responding to it is already there. It's already there. Yeah. There is no framework on the other side, right? On the side that's on CRT, it doesn't exist. Mm. That's a major problem. Yes. So CRT doesn't fall into an already primed, like Abdul would use that word, an already primed uh, framework that people can totally understand. People are starting at zero with CRT right? because there's never been, for lack of a better word, a leftist framework like there is a right framework for responding yeah. for things like this. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a reason for that, but again, di- di- yeah. different podcast. But then quickly, just to say one time, the other thing is that the way CRT communicates, it, it leaves the impression that... Um, People of color will never succeed in America. That's the taste that it leaves in other people's mouths. Mm. So then you have people like Jay-Z, you have Oprah, you have Michael Jackson, you have Michael Jordan. Tyler Perry. The exception, Tyler Perry. Yeah. look. What about all these exceptions? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I found this quote in the Chicago Tribune. It says, as long as young blacks are made to believe that their shortcomings are solely the result 
of an ingrained racist predilection in the American life that seeks to circumscribe their potential, underachievement, and self-destructive behavior will almost certainly continue unabated. That was said in 1991. <laughs> you know what I mean about the response? Mm-hmm. It's already canned. Do, yeah. It's already canned. It's yeah. canned. It's a canned response. The response to CRT, yeah. it's the same response. They're just they're just dusting off the greatest hits. Is all they're doing. Basically, and, they already and, got and the repurpose hits. them. Yeah, the reunion tour. That's all this is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, so, that's good. Anyway, I mean, I could. Um, now, one kind of would say, and again, this is just observation. Um, that CRT views everything through the lens of race. Does it? Well, that the race is the answer for everything. Mm. And I'm going to tie it to this other point that it's advocates. Well, they can be fundamentalists because any critique of CRT must mean that you're a racist. Yes. I think there's fair critiques of it. Yes. And so do I. You know what I mean? Yep. So those, those would be my, my, pros and cons there that's good that's good and mine are actually similar i see um and i'll make this quick i see three kind of pretty big problems with crt and how, and how people deploy it uh, the biggest problem i see with crt and this is kind of again i think where i agree with you andres is that um it allows people of color to use it very narrowly to construe power to put themselves on the good side of it mm-hmm. so it, it uses power like it, it narrowly construes power so that they can define who is and what is racist and then push themselves on the good side of it. So um, black people can't be racist, for example, right? Um, and I think what that actually does is that creates division and actually distracts from the real conversation about prog- progress and justice and honesty and repair. And I think it creates division rather than actually erasing division. And so for me, I'm not a proponent of creating division, you know, but the whole, the whole black people or POC can't be racist thing to me is kind of BS, mm-hmm. you know, because, because, um, again, it, it narrowly construes power. And so if I think about that too much, I'm actually offended by that part of CRT because what that part does is it takes away agency. It takes away personal responsibility. And reduces all of us to victims. Yeah. You know, now, mm-hmm. now, as a way to describe a thing, CRT has value in that. So to me, there's a difference between being a victim and being victimized. You mm-hmm. know, being a victim is a perpetual mental state. Being victimized is an event or a series of events, mm-hmm. you know? And so, being a, you know, I, I always have the agency to respond in a certain way, you know, like right. while, while there are outcomes or while there are systems and structures that, that hold me back from certain things, I still, I still have the possibility of achieving yeah. certain things. It's just two, three, four five, 10 times harder, right? Because there are obstructions in the path. Right. And so we'll call those obstructions victimizations. Right. Right. Now, being a victim 
is standing at the starting line with my hands in my lap and my head down crying, saying, I can't run the race. Mm-hmm. Right. So because X, Y, and Z is being done to me. Yes. Yes. Right. So, um, and power, power is inherently relative. Now I don't have ultimate power, obviously to create the rules of society, but I do have relative and situational power to act as an agent of the system or, or to act in my own, in my own, whatever. So as somebody who hires people and employs people, I can exercise power, but just because I don't have ultimate power to define the rules doesn't mean that I don't have any power. Right? So another major problem that I have with CRT, and I've mentioned this on the show before, is that people who use the CRT argument and a CRT framework without truly understanding it often actually violate one of the fundamental tenets of critical race theory. And namely that there are four components to racism. One of those components, the building block component, being the individual or the internalized Mm -hmm. racism. And so, you know, if you can have internalized implicit inferiority or superiority, then yes, black folks can be racist. So they miss me with that. Mm -hmm. And then, and the last one that I have a big problem with is that um, if you're not careful from a CRT perspective, you can treat every white person like an oppressor. And that's what like, you know, like the left says, if you critique CRT, you must be racist. No, no. If you critique CRT, that makes you intelligent. <laughs> now, if you diss the whole thing just because it's on, your, on the other side of the aisle that you sit on, then that's a whole different thing. You know? But I happen to actually be a proponent of CRT. However, I'm not a blind proponent of it, and there are some issues with it. And so the last thing, you know, again, so that, but anyway, yes, if you're not careful, you treat every white person like an oppressor. Which, by the way, is the same bone I have to pick with radical feminism. But again, mm. different podcast. But so, pe- <laughs> so people of color are basically condemning so-called white folks for committing a crime that they may not have known was a crime because they don't know their own history, right? And then mm-hmm. you have, let's call, them, let's call them woke white people, tripping all over themselves in the, in the self-flagellation Olympics to tell each other and us that they're racist, you know? So I prefer for folks to be understand that we understand that we've all been racialized, but you know, I'm not going around saying all white people are racist. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is we have all been racialized. Right. And so to your point, Andres, to say that, you know, well, it's all about race. Well, again, if it's a theory like the spatial theory of relativity, that when you keep examining and examining it, oh, dear God, it's a theory, but I can't disprove it, mm-hmm. right? So critical race theory is a theory that when you examine the laws and the structures and the systems and even the constitution and the, the, the stuff that preceded the constitution, you keep coming away with this perspective, a way to see a thing that, oh, dear God, racial bias that benefits white people and unbenefits everybody else is baked into the system. So yeah, there's a whole lot to this thing about race, but it's race and economics. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of right. a chicken and egg thing because it's a tandem problem. Right. right. So we've said many times that we are not a Christian podcast, but our social location is as Christians. 
So um, we should also discuss the pros and cons of critical race theory through the Christian lens. Yeah. So I'll go first. Um, so a con for CRT from a Christian perspective is that our identity comes from God and not yes. from race. Right. Right. Who are you? You're an image bearer of God, meaning that people ought to think of God when they look at me and my skin color. Right. Back to Galatians and back to Galatians 328. Mm-hmm. We are, his representatives to the world, right? We are to rule over this part of his creation on his behalf, right? Then the other thing is Jesus' main message was about the proclamation of the kingdom of God, but that the proclamation of the kingdom of God was at hand. And that creates a cosmic battle. Yeah. Right? We are in the middle of a battle between Thanos and Captain America. <laughs> right so donald miller has a great visual for this and i'll end it here um so imagine a barbecue right and we're recording this on the fourth of july so plenty of barbecues right yeah <laughs> everything is great the hot dog the brats burger mashed potato the music all that going on cookout is on 11 and then a, an explosion breaks out not just one but two but three there's pandemonium everywhere everybody's running it's just complete and utter chaos and then you walk in mm. that's where we're at in mm. the cosmic battle literally between good and evil mm. right so the real church is the one that's equipped for this battle mm-hmm. as we partner with the holy spirit yeah. Right, CRT is a natural solution and may alleviate some problems, right? But there is something when we say that uh, it's a God thing, this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is that, like we said in other stuff, we over-spiritualize things. Yeah. But from a Christian perspective, we are fighting uh oh now i'm drawing a blank the powers the oh the rulers authorities, the principalities and the special dark forces and in, 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 right yeah right right and this is one of those this is one of those battles yep yeah that's good justine mm, okay so the first one that i would say last year there was because of george floyd and ahmed arbery and you know in blm there was a lot of conversations surrounding like social justice in the church, you know, and using an equity lens. And for me, as I'm thinking about this as a believer, it's like, what is the difference between all these things? You know, like it gets to a point where like, I think, especially people that are new to these conversations, it can be kind of overwhelming. Like, okay, there's social justice, there's, uh, there's anti-racism, and then now there's CRT, you know? Yeah. And so, I don't know, like, I just... I think there can be some fatigue. I'm not saying it's justified or not justified, but like, Mm -hmm. I just think there can be some fatigue from all this information and the nuance. And what's the difference between all these things? Right. Right. So I think CRT in the context of everything else that we're trying to parse through as the big C church in regards to race and racism, 
I think can maybe just get overwhelming and probably like, oh my gosh, whatever. You guys are overreacting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then secondly, uh, for, for those of us that are proponents of CRT, how are we using the Bible to justify our stance on CRT? The reason I say this is because people that are against CRT, believers that are against CRT, they're using the Bible. They might not be using it correctly, but it makes it very convincing. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so, so those would be my two things. Then I also think lastly, and Andres, like you brought up a good point. CRT kind of frames everything as being about race. And I wonder if as believers in 2021, if we've made everything about race, you know, it's like, am I, am I a black Christian or am I a Christian who happens to be black? Right. Yeah. Am I a white Christian or am I a Christian who happens to be white? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, One more thing, Abdul, before you jumped in, I forgot. I actually forgot to give the pro from Mm. a Christian perspective for CRT. And I'll keep it super simple. And we have the term in Christianity, bearing witness, right? Mm -hmm. Bearing witness is simply to state something that happened. As Christians, we bear witness to what happened. We should not be afraid of something that actually happened. We ought to bear witness. Um, I was reminded of, uh, I was doing the research of do a word search on the word remember in the book of Deuteronomy. It's loaded. Remember, remember, remember. Mm -hmm. So as Christians, we should remember, we should bear witness. We already do with Jesus. We shouldn't shy away with history. And bear witness to what happened. Um, because as everybody knows, the truth has a tendency to set you free. To re- yeah. yeah. But also to that. repeat itself if it's not challenged. Correct. Yes. Yes, that's good. So I'll share a couple of mine, but then I want to just uh, react first to something that you said, Justine. I agree that, that we're giving the order wrong, for example. you know. So for me, yes, I am a Christian who... Not who happens to be an African-American because happens to be would be an accident. Mm-hmm. I am a Christian who is in the skin I'm in and the cultural lineage that I have because the God of the universe deemed it to be that way before the foundation of the world, because mm-hmm. that diversity brings him glory. Amen. So it's not that I am a black Christian. I am a Christian who is black because my, not my blackness, because that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my African descentedness mm-hmm. and the traditions and the cultures that come from all the different things that make up my family tree that, yeah. include, that include Native American, Latino, and white. Mm-hmm. It's all in there. That's what God intended. Exactly. Okay. See, and that's different. Being being African American is different from being black. Oh, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. That's that's the thing that I think. Yeah, we want to make sure that we highlight because we do get the order wrong sometimes. So, um, I'm going to say the, the the problems I have with CRT from a Christian perspective. 
so one is that, like I mentioned before in the podcast, that the idea that um, CRT or critical race theory says that people of color can't be racist. This is a problem both as a critique of CRT regularly and as a theological problem. Because the theological problem is that I don't find anywhere in the pages of my Bible the idea that certain people are exempt from certain categories of sin. Mm-hmm. And so to say, to use CRT to say that, that black folks can't be racist, if you are a Christian, those words should never escape your lips. If you are a Christian, you should understand that sin, that sin is sin. And all of us have the propensity to commit any kind of sin. Yeah. And to understand that the idea, even the idea of whiteness and blackness is itself a sin. Because it's a perversion of what God intended. God intended ethnicity. Sinful man in their dark heart created race. And so I don't see that any of us are exempt from certain categories of sin. So CRT misses me on that one. Um, but again, if you talk about, just in the way we talk about exegesis, ex- exposition, hermeneutics, and fidelity to scripture and all that, and context and all that kind of stuff, the same folks who break their own rules while understanding all of that, that, that pattern just continues. You know, and as we're recording, I keep, I don't know if you guys keep hearing it on the mic, but I hear all the pops of the fireworks and everything. You know, so listeners, if you keep hearing pops and thumps in the background, that's because we're recording on the 4th of July and people are, are setting off fireworks. Now, why do we set off fireworks? Because it simulates the night that Francis Scott Key wrote the poem of the Star Spangled Banner. Again, another podcast. Now, the second problem I have. Oh, no. This was covered in Juneteenth. It was covered in Juneteenth. So go back to that. Yes. Now, the patriotic side of me also listened to that, and it's a beautiful thing. And the rockets, red glare, the bombs bursting in the air gave proof through the night that the flag was still there because they were worried about the flag being destroyed. It's actually a beautiful sentiment. But too bad Francis Scott Key also was a racist. Now, the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you are on something today <laughs> just tell the truth is all. I, I believe in telling the truth I, I, I am a polemicist now uh, <laughs> the other thing other problem I have with, uh, with, with CRT from a biblical perspective right is that um, opponents of CRT seem to only situationally believe in the idea of vicarious association when it suits them now, that's a fancy way of saying that just because you didn't do something and you weren't there, that you benefit from it. So as a Christian, you are Christians, not because you were in the Garden of Eden and not because you were on the cross, but you are Christians because of the vicarious sin that you inherit from Adam and Eve and the vicarious atonement you inherit from, from Christ. Mm-hmm. So if you oppose CRT because you, you weren't there, you didn't own slaves, you didn't call somebody the N-word, the, the idea is the same. The structures and the laws were there to benefit you, but you didn't create them. So the whole idea about, again, all of that, you know, no. So Christian theology, Christian doctrine, and the Bible itself is explicit about the fact that, A, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, not merely because of personal sin and personal failing, but because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. So second, as we have discussed several times in this podcast, the Bible is replete 
with verses about the corporate nature of sin and salvation and the corporate, i.e. generational responsibility of mankind. So for these folks, I'd say once again, you can't have it both ways. Like you can't choose to believe in corporate association only when it suits you, mm-hmm. you know? So in the last example I give with that is you didn't participate in your team winning the Super Bowl or the playoffs, but you're <laughs> quick to shout, we did it and we won when your team wins, right? What kind of vicarious association is that, right? So. I can show you this stuff, but I can't understand it for you. So as we wrap up, what do we want the audience to take away from this episode? Andres, it seems like you have something. I do. And I'm going to relate it to mental illness. All right. It's basically this. You can't ignore your past, but you must heal your past. And this nation refuses refuses to heal itself by facing its history head on, right? So the real problem, just like in in mental health, is getting stuck in the past, which keeps you moving, right? But the thing is, we think that healing your past means ignoring your past. And ignoring your past just doesn't work in mental health, and it doesn't work for our country's mental health mental health, quote unquote, right? And finally, in the free market of ideas, we should trust our children with our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there should be no censorship in that history, right? You can trust our children with the complete history of the United States, and they're going to be okay. Exactly. They can handle it. They can handle it. Allow them to think critically on that history also. That's good. That's good. That's a great note to end on, bro. Well, that does it for us for now. As always, if you like the show and the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, please subscribe, share, or drop us a review. And don't be afraid to do all the above. This helps folks find us and hopefully join the community. We can always use more soldiers. And thanks in advance for all the love. Also, if you have questions about anything we cover on the show, if you have any topics you want us to discuss or just want to reach out, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Christian Soldier or email us at hello at Christian Soldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Andres. I'm Abdullah. And I'm Justine. And until next time, keep the faith. Paz. Peace. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is the Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.